technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... That KPIs in isolation often confuse an organisation, and they, they can actually be measuring us in the wrong way, and they can be driving behaviours on the, in the wrong way. So I think, first and foremost, I would really suggest that organisations need to look at the OKRs, yeah, the objectives and key results, make sure that they are well aligned across the organisation, make sure that, that strategy isn't an option, and that objectives and key results associated with the strategy are well and truly embedded. And then, as a result of that, you'll see a number of KPIs that would actually then support the achievement of those OKRs and therefore the strategy. You're listening to the Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. The key performance indicator has been the key indicator of performance for everyone in almost every organization ever. But according to Bell Labs Consulting Executive Partner Stephen Rose, if the telecommunications industry continues to measure based on 20th century KPIs, it will never succeed in the 21st century. He tells me all you need to do is look at the relative success within two parts of the industry, the telecom companies themselves and the FANGs, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, the hyperscalers that built their businesses on top of the telecom industry. Yeah, I think we need to take a look back at the evolution of the industry and, and since, let's say, the 3G era and see what was going on up to now and then have a look forward. So so the first thing is, is, is the industry structure has, has driven a commoditization of connectivity services. And, and, and that's problem number one, very, very simple economic issue. Uh, and and the sec- and you know we could see that if we look at the you know the difference between the valuations of, of, of fang players and CSPs, we could see, you know orders of magnitude difference between those two industry structure sorry those two parts of the industry even though there are in the same industry structure um, you know the other problem is and and, and of course we've seen a, a, a certain obsession over TCOs uh, sorry TCO as a KPI and and and, and so because of that. Um, you know, CSPs have, have obviously then moved to try to protect margins and to optimize their KPIs like cost per bit, for example. And so, you know, that obviously then drives a you know, certain type of behavior in their organizations. And the other problem is even as we move into, into 5G, we can see that we're getting a few dollars more for higher speeds and feeds, but we're not actually able to make a long-term monetization strategy of that. And like Shannon's law, there is a, there is a limit to that. So, so we have to actually uh, decide how to orientate ourselves going forward. And in the f- for going forward, the, the rules of the game completely change. B2B services will shift to outcome-based services, and there'll be guaranteed SLAs around those, which means that the operational KPIs completely change uh, to an always-on, always-available service. The second thing is, is because the economic imperative will still remain, then the CSPs will need to drive organizations to invent services that require different ways of inventing and measuring the the, the return on invested capital of those inventions uh, or the return on assets. And the other third issue really is the inventions will need to address real complex fourth industrial revolution, but also within a a very strong hyperlocal context. It's a very, very different way of going to market. So a lot of things change in order to be successful in the 21st century. So if we're to focus on forward-looking KPIs, we need to change our mindsets. You've been quoted as saying that you're in an industry that seriously needs to reorient for growth. How do we break the mindset 
to capitalize on 5G and other next-gen network experiences. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think mindset development is a, is a classic leadership problem, and it, and it really starts with first off preparing leaders to become to come to terms with a number of new notions that 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 you know we've been schooled in uh, in different ways in in the past, and 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 if we think about just where ideas or where opportunities come from, they really come from the top nowadays. Yeah, leaders are not all-knowing, omnipotent, amazing things anymore. In fact, you know, quite the opposite in many respects. Leaders are often the most distant from, from the emergent use of technology as well and, and, and often fail to recognize where the market is going. So first off, getting leaders out of the way and actually giving them, uh, giving others space to be able to come to terms with, with where the opportunities are and, and, and actually uh, um, act on them. I think the second thing is if we want new behaviors to come out and around organization, you know, we need to think about how do we li- align the organization's objectives and key results to the entire organization. And often, again, where we've seen innovation working and, and the willingness, to, let's say, in the opportunity to capitalize on 5G, we've seen it coming from smaller parts of the organization or from dedicated parts of the organization. But those ideas can come from anywhere. And we have to actually change everybody's behavior to becoming much more of a hive mentality. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do. And if we look at, there's a great book from Himani Ibarra that really looks at, you know, from her studies on, on leadership and innovation, uh, sorry, in an organization. And she actually says humans are narcissistic and lazy. And if, if, we, if we fail to set invention and innovation targets across the organization, guess what they'll do, what, the, what they always did. And I think the third issue really is that, is that, again, much in the same way that the external rules change, the internal rules have to change. People need to work within a context where, you know, the, when they're providing providing, sorry, that, that learning comes from, from failure, that they'll not be penalized, uh, you know, for making mistakes when it comes to uh, capitalizing on 5G and innovating around 5G, but also they need the space and the resources to work on that as well. So, you know, a number of things need to be in place for, for us to be able to do that. And I could imagine the structure of the industry is problematic for changing that mindset as well. It is. And, and, and CSPs particularly have got it hard. Telco services providers have got it hard. You know, for, for networks to interoperate, if you think about it, they need to work to common standards. Those common standards are, are absolutely universal across the industry um, and they must evolve in concert. So, so if we think about it, you know, you're trying to work to 3GPP standards or IEEE standards or whatever they are. And as you move together in concert, you're, try, you're launching services together. But in, in many respects, that course, that makes it hard to differentiate and find uniqueness. I think the other issues that CSPs and telco providers are under that, let's say, other players in the, in, in the, in the value chain are not under is enormous regulatory oversight. And, and, and notwithstanding the fact that if they're a, they're a wireless operator, they've got spectrum scarcity issues to deal with, which are often very expensive. Um, and then there's a couple of other issues that they, they've had to contend with. One is, is that because of the way they, they generally buy from from the from the value chain, CSPs tend to buy massive and infrequent job lots, which pits vendors against each other very aggressively, and in turn that sort of suppresses profits and therefore R and D. So there is a sort of a vicious circle that comes along with that. And then the last issue that they're really dealing with is content ownership is often prohibitively expensive. If we look at BT, although they're doing actually quite well off the back of this, but they're paying one point five million dollars or there and thereabouts per premiership football game to be able to actually release that content with their service. Vodafone Spain actually said that it was cheaper to actually completely move out of the industry and lose all your customers than it would be to actually have that kind of licensing arrangement. And, and we've seen other companies like AT&T decide 
that actually the core and context needs to change, change and that they're moving their, their, their uh, media assets out of the business to be monetized in other ways. So, so very, very difficult, difficult uh, structural issues to deal with. And as a result of that, that's where some of the issues need to be overcome. You've been quoted as, as saying, and this is uh, quite a, a pretty sentence. I don't know if I know what it means, but you advise CSPs to, quote, construct value constellations to discover hyper local emergent opportunities. Help me understand that. We can take some inspiration from from the ways in which uh, the insect community actually works when they want to find new opportunities uh, or and, and and nesting sites and and that's a thing called quorum sensing. So the way that bees and ant ants work is that one one bee goes out or one ant goes out. It looks to find a particular nesting site. It come ba- it comes back. It convinces other ants or other bees that that's a good idea, and so they go back and they actually get a few more, and then and then slowly but surely they incrementally move the organization towards what is a good idea, and then they get the the quorum actually formed, and then they go and find the next nesting site. And I think there is a, a wonderful opportunity for CSPs to actually build not only constellations of their own organization, because they've got lots of smart, wonderful people, and they've got, of course, uh, brilliant sets of assets in there, but they can then go to the broader ecosystem. And the broader ecosystem also has lots of different resources and lots of different insight. And so they can actually then assemble those in, in certain ways and, and bring not only just their own organization, like I said, but expert organizations with rare and inimitable assets uh, to be compiled uh, for, for new, new, new ways of, of value. Um, the other great thing about that, when, when, when if, if you see a lot of firms that are becoming more expert at that, and there are a couple in the industry already, um, it's a great way to evaluate M&A opportunities. So if we look at somebody like TELUS, TELUS have made something like 30 acquisitions in the last few years, just to be able to address different vertical sectors. Uh, and, and, and of course, if they've been quorum sensing with those organizations, they can actually then have wonderful network effects around it. Rakuten also, uh, they own a lot of their own portfolio. So if they're quorum sensing, uh, they can actually then identify opportunities. And, and, and especially within the 5G era, because we're also learning where the value proposition stands, it's, emergent under, it's a, an emergent understanding that we gain that quorum sensing capability is even more important. So then let's extend your ant metaphor. How do we get people to think about where the opportunities lie? What does that look like in an industry that's accustomed to protecting corporate silos? If you had a sales guy walk into the R&D department with an idea, uh, I would suspect that it would not be as welcomed as if it came from within the R&D department itself. Yeah, yeah, indeed. The first challenge is, is setting targets that everybody understands that they can and they should be contributing to ideas about where the where the emergent strategy that uh, can go and that's a you know, notion of strategy from the bottom up um and there have been some fantastic organizations uh, outside of our industry that have been doing that valve uh, is a software development company they do that but actually we are now seeing examples that from from sorry examples of that from within our own industry um and there's a there's a a good example of that would be the open innovation lab 5g open innovation lab in, in based in seattle they're working with T-Mobile and the way the Open Innovation Lab works is they set themselves up as the participatory architecture. So that is that they set up the conditions for third party organizations to come in, share their ideas, bring in their assets, bring in their ideas and bring in their resources. And they're doing that hand in glove with T-Mobile US. And so because of that, two things happen. One again, like I said, they act as the participatory architecture. They, they draw people in through membership. But the other thing that they do is, is it's, it's got to be in, in such a way that it's non-prescriptive. 
If I'm uh, uh, trying to gain, um, sorry, if I'm holding a particular perspective on where 5G monetization might happen, um, it doesn't mean that you will necessarily, on the opposite side of the table, agree with me. So how do you then have those discussions, share ideas, investigate opportunities, and then come back and share some more? So those those organizations like the Open Innovation Lab are going to be key to unlocking ideas uh, and, 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 and yet not being over-prescriptive. And again, if we, we see other firms, KPN in Holland, uh, have done a, a wonderful job of that to address certain verticals and others are doing similarly. Business 101 will teach a student about the economies of scale and the value that comes from taking one thing and applying it universally. You, on the other hand, are saying that CSPs need to think hyper-local. What does that mean? How does that look? And how do we convince a CSP that instead of thinking about one idea that can work across an entire country, that you need to look at individual communities and individual industries and try to come up with solutions for a very hyper-local environment. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, so I think the, you, you, you said the right thing, which is, you know, the, the entire telco sector has been around building a universally applicable service uh, for anybody that wants to use it, rather whether it be B2C or B2B. And that, and that also then drives a certain... Um, one-dimensional SLA. But if you think about it in the future, 5G networks, 5GA particularly, where the, we will see the completion of the, of, the, of the 5G architecture, we will see that we will move into URLLC, that's ultra-reliable, low-latency communication services, and we will also see um, you know, the big shift to edge cloud. Now, those two, those two capabilities combined can, do, can, can enable us to then go to... Um, Firms that, you know, let's say production companies or, or, or whether it be a manufacturing firm or whatever it happens to be. And we will then see the 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 um, network capabilities and the operational technology in that business start to connect. Now, unless you have a hyper-local understanding of the systems of activities within that particular provider or that, man sorry, that particular customer, or whether you actually understand what kind of industrial KPIs that they're working to, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to then bring those two technology sets together. So that's the first problem. Actually, the use cases are becoming hyper-local uh, and, and, and the SLAs that you will support uh, and the systems of activities associated. The other thing is, 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 of course, there's an opportunity, and we talked about ecosystems before. Ecosystems can actually be used to galvanize uh, insight and foresight, and they've got their own networks. So, of course, they have relationships and they have trusted ecosystems around them, um, and so because of that, if you bring that hyper-local uh, um, constellation together, you get uh, new relationships, you get trusted uh, relationships, and you also get things like the willingness to share data, insight, other resources, inimitable resources. So there's a lot of benefit to actually starting to think hyper-local. When I think about hyper-local, I think about hyperscalers and the web scalers and particularly in the world of, of cloud, if there was one industry that would have been primed to provide the nearer edge cloud computing that we have today, you would think it would be the telecommunications industry, but those aren't the ones who managed to, to stake that ground first. What has been the impact on the mindset of CSPs realizing that in 3G and 4G, they kind of missed the boat and they can't do that again in 5G? Yeah, I, I think they the hyperscalers have brought in a couple of of um, let's say perspectives, and perspectives are up there, you know, very very strong perspectives on how do you actually develop a core theory of of value, 
And and if you look at you know the top performing organizations in the world, they have that. They 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 are very very true to um, what it is that they do and how they actually do it and how do they create value in the marketplace. And 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 if we look to external other firms, I mean you know the hyperscalers have done that through developing these these core assets, these core capabilities, uh, whether it be uh, um, management platforms or service development platforms, or whether it be uh, the data centers, that is their core capability, and they leverage all of their of their value off the back of that. It's clear to everybody how they make value. Uh, but also, we can look to other firms. Disney and Marvel are, are, are great are great examples of firms that actually were right on the edge of bankruptcy, so bankruptcy on the horizon, and they managed to come back and becoming hugely successful. And they did that. Uh, both firms did that, in fact, by going back to a core uh, organizational th- theory. And that was to leverage their assets in unique ways. And they d- identified that what their core asset was. And in their case, of course, it was their characters. Yeah. So I think CSPs have to take a good look at who they are, how do they add value in the business, and start to really understand what is the structural setup for that? What are the organizational theory that they want to have inside of their organization? And how does that relate to the external factors that are going on in the world? So big, big changes. And the web scale is a, a, a great example of that. So that's the the big picture on the on the web scalers and things that uh, CSPs should look at. But it's the inimitability of web scale and the fangs, your Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google, that are the secret to their success. So what KPIs should CSPs focus on to provide the services that can't be replicated elsewhere, yeah. or at least not easily? Yeah, I mean, I think the operational KPIs clearly change to always on, always available. So you've got to get away from the classical TCO sort of obsessive uh, uh, um, uh, KPIs around cost per bid um, and start to actually look at whether your SLA is actually going to be two nines, three nines, four nines, five nines, whatever it happens to be, even all the way up and beyond that, because you'll be running operational technology on the customer side uh, that is completely different. But I think if we think on the on the ability to innovate and develop new services and grow the organization, then we've got to think about actually innovation-based uh, uh, KPIs. And, and of course, what you don't want to do is you don't want to then set people off in and into into the ether and then say go go ahead go go forth and multiply on your innovation without actually then having some level of accountability. Uh, so I think things like you know a consciousness around business case adherence. If you have developed a business case and you've developed a good idea and you've taken that to market, to what extent were the things that you said were going to be true actually true? And if you aren't measuring that, then naturally. You're, you're not either going to be able to see whether you're making money or not, or if you're miles off, you can't course correct your organization to say, well, you, 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 your assumptions are wildly off. So business case adherence is going to be key. I think the other thing is, is being highly conscious of metrics that relate to whether you're um, renewing portfolio or whether you're dematuring portfolio. I mean, renewing portfolio, or sorry, yeah, renewing portfolio is obvious. You're, you're finding the second S curve as they say, but dematuring of portfolio, a lot of organizations are actually pumping a lot of energy into adding value by dematuring the existing offers. And dematuring is effectively, if you're going up the S-curve and then you bring the value backwards, you get a renaissance of, val- of, of, of value on the, on, 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 the, on the same portfolio item. The problem is, is that if you continuously only do that, you don't really look for renewal. So, so again, we've got to be very conscious of how we're actually innovating what we're innovating and and whether we're going for something new or not. 
How do you convince a hyperlocal organization to incorporate a CSP into their business model once that CSP has found something that provides them that unique standout against the competition? Sorry, was this B2B or B2C? So I just want to be correct. Well, I can imagine any hyperlocal organization would most likely be a B2B relationship. But I, I suppose, too, you know, a, a business to consumer type of relationship as well has some unique components to it as well. But let, let's talk about it from that B2B perspective, because I figure that 5G is going to be primarily an enterprise oriented next generation. Sure, we're going to give the kids at super high speed, low latency for their games. But the real growth is going to be on the enterprise side. I think you're absolutely right. Initially, especially with 5GA. I think we will see, uh, you know, that's where the where the opportunity lies. Um, and really, what does that look like? It looks like interconnected, you know, sort of systems of activities, both procedural and technological. Here, yeah, you're going to be a CSP on one hand. You're going to be offering a service to the to the uh, uh, to the B two B customer, and you've got to ensure that the services that you're operating are actually embedded deeply within their the, within their operating model. And 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 the second element of that really looks like shared outcomes. And shared resources as well. Yeah. So you are actually then building those, as I said, you're building those constellations, you're building a construct, a commercial construct, taking that through, and then there'll be a defined outcome at the at the at the, at the end of that. Yeah. Um, so I think B2B relationships look very differently. Um, and they are very much where CSPs are on the hook for the operational performance in some instances, but certainly at a minimum for the SLA. But I think to the point that you just made, I think the hyperlocal on B2C does look actually quite different. If we imagine a little bit further forward from 5G and as we go into 6G, we'll see a hybrid world of next generation internet. We're going to see disaggregated devices and IoT ecosystems. It's B2C IoT, IoT ecosystems. And it's where, where we really see that symbiosis between human machine and software systems. So I think, again, for CSPs, means completely differently densified networks. It means always on, always always available, sort of high dynamic network systems. And that really means that actually all of your predictive analytics enabled by AI and ML won't be a nice to have. They'll be basic table stakes, as will the KPIs associated with that. I'm fascinated that you said that we'll be waiting for 6G, which isn't something that we're really expecting until around 2030 or so. I can imagine a B2C hyperlocal environment would benefit tremendously from 5G, particularly when we talk about next generation smartphones that aren't phones anymore, they're, they're AR glasses, or they're all cloudified. Um, the metaverse has been getting a lot of attention lately, and it is a bit of a buzzword right now, but I can imagine 5G would be tremendously helpful in that world on a B2C environment. It, it is. I mean, I think, again, when we move into URLLC, um, and when we have hybrid experiences, and particularly when we have uh, disaggregated devices, then then the, the whole way in which humans interact between the physical and the digital worlds will completely change. And we will be able to actually navigate through the world, whether it be a shopping mall or whether it happens to be just where we're going on the street. And we won't be looking down at a hand-based device that is actually stood in front of us. Of course, we'll be able to actually command through audibility or we'll be able to command uh, through through um, uh, some sort of vision based or sorry a uh, uh, spectacles based you know device where we'll be able to th see something as simple as the bus timetable on command but of course we're going to experience video and all sorts of other things differently so it is going to be a completely different world and I th and again when we if we think back to the problem of how do we measure the performance of that on the network side and within the ecosystem everybody has a bigger role to play in that and CSPs of course then 
have an opportunity to monetize off the back of that. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting nokia.com slash insights. The Futurithmic podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.